The following Dharma talk was given for the Insight Meditation Community of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please visit our website at imeditation.org. Loving kindness is often considered the kind of the foundation of the heart qualities. The four heart qualities are, first of all, loving kindness. And then the uh, understanding is when the heart of loving kindness meets suffering, encounters suffering, there's a sense of compassion. It's just the natural outflowing. There's nothing that has to be manufactured there. Then there's also the sense that when loving kindness meets happiness, there's just a joy, a sympathetic joy that naturally flows. So that's the third of the heart qualities. And the fourth of the heart qualities is equanimity. And the recognition as you can cultivate loving kindness and the others, that there are times when all of it is beyond your control. I mean, none of it is really within our control, but there's sometimes when we just need to call on the high quality of being even-minded. That's not being, um, um, ignoring something. It is even-mindedly looking with recognition, you know, this is the way it is right now, beyond my ability to change. Four heart qualities. What we're doing now is we are doing a series. We started the overview last week. Tonight is discussing loving kindness. Next week, we're going to get a lot of loving kindness because Sharon Salzberg is coming, and anybody who has read any books about loving kindness knows hers. Number book number one that she published was published several years ago called Loving Kindness, and she is here with her new book, which is called Real Love. Some of you have been reading it, so she will be talking next week here at IMCC as well as in the other places that Bill mentioned. And then the week after that, our own Sharon, Sharon Beckman Brindley, is going to be presenting some um, exercises with loving kindness, how to put it, into, put it into action. So this is kind of the overview of what's going on. And to go back and point out that, you know, the Buddha talked about loving kindness as well as the other heart qualities. And he said that you need to pervade your mind and heart with loving kindness. This should saturate your being, should saturate your being. He went on to say, um, and here's a quote, as a mother would risk her own life to protect her only child, even so towards all living beings, one should cultivate a boundless heart. And then there's also that whopper of a statement that I mentioned last week when I did the overview, and that is, he said, even if bandits were to sever you savagely, limb by limb, he who gives rise to a mind of hate towards them would not be carrying out my teachings. It's like, wow, yes. Okay, we can assume that, you know, this is at the very highest level. Maybe we cannot even approximate that, but you get the drift, right? That this is really, really important to cultivate. Important, and yet, it's like the word and yet, that's what comes. So many people have problem with the idea of love. Talking about love, it just seems it gets in the way for many, many people, it carries so much baggage in our culture, that word, doesn't it? So many different ways of expressing it. Uh, in fact, I'll say it's, it's really overused. You just look at all kinds of products, and yeah, they got love on it. One of, I was just noticing the other day, 
a shopping bag, you know, one of these that you take in that's recyclable. Love is on it. And, you know, it, it's nice. You know, you'd rather see love than hate on it. And nonetheless, you kind of know that it's there to promote, you know, go ahead and buy. Feel good, feel fuzzy about it, and go, go buy something. Uh, it has, there's an ulterior motive, let's put it that way, that's not just purely about love. Um, I think also love gets in the way that either, at least the idea, you know, because you kind of think, it's so easy to think that it is a, uh, supposed to be a warm and fuzzy feeling. It's supposed to be an emotion. In fact, this isn't the case. But especially, you know, if you've had any difficulty with relating particularly to some special someone and it hasn't come in, maybe gone a little sour, you know, you don't want to be hearing about love and loving kindness. It's got a little bit of a problem for you. So for all these reasons, you know, people get drawn up by, whoops, love. I don't know about loving kindness business. I was just talking to a friend that I know very well. Um, she doesn't live here in town. She's been meditating now for decades. And so we were talking about this and she was saying, you know what? She said, I never understood loving kindness. She said, the only way I began to understand it was when I began in rather recent years to get into compassion. Compassion is the opening of the heart where they're suffering. And she said that was the way I began to appreciate loving kindness. Began to get a feel for it. And she still would prefer not to think too much about loving kindness. Compassion, yes. Loving kindness, eh, she doesn't think so. And what about meditation? You know, the kind of meditation that I, I led earlier on, this is loving kindness meditation. And there are many versions of what I, I just led. This wasn't obviously the only. But a lot of people really draw up at loving kindness meditation. Again, it sounds like it's supposed to be warm and fuzzy. And if you're doing it, nothing arises. No warm, fuzzy feeling arises like, well, you feel you're failing. But the fact is, as I said, you know, it isn't about feeling warm and fuzzy. Cultivating the quality of loving kindness means cultivating an open heart, an open no, not even you. I won't even use a heart. That can get us into trouble if you got a problem to begin with. An open receptivity, a receptivity to what's there, a tender regard, and in fact, that is a definition of loving kindness: a tender regard for all things. Doesn't say anything about having this upwelling of emotion and sentimentality. It just isn't it. Um, so. It's interesting. I think that the Dalai Lama has uh, on to, is caught on to how Westerners have trouble with the word love because he said, you know, he said, when thinking about loving kindness, he said, perhaps it's best to put the emphasis on kindness. <laughs> this, is, this is good. The, the emphasis on kindness. But, but you need to know, it's not just our pale version of a smile that you might want to give to someone. It goes deep this kindness, and which is why the Dalai Lama was able to say, he said, my religion is kindness. He's not referring to, although he smiles a lot, he's not just referring to a smile here and there. It's loving kindness, mm. loving kindness. So the part of the point is how we greet, this is a quality that has grown from the inside. 
It emanates outwards. And how we greet the world, how we greet on the everyday life, in our everyday life, that's what we tend to find. I don't mean that just because you experience loving kindness on the inside, everybody's going to turn around and be loving. No, obviously, that's not so. But you will find it more often that way if you bring it with you. Have you ever heard that uh, statement, to a hammer, everything is a nail? Or a pickpocket only sees pockets? If you've got loving kindness from within, you're going to see it without. You're not going to bypass it and overlook it. And people, and people do respond to it. There's that beautiful Native American story, with, which I have told a few times here, and that is a traditional story that says every person has within them two wolves. One is the wolf that is an angry, a bitter wolf, and the other is the kind and loving wolf. And it depends upon which wolf you feed. That's the kind of person you're going to be. So here what we do is we feed the wolf of kindness. We cultivate, literally intentionally cultivate loving kindness, which is what we were doing early on in this early uh, meditation. Loving kindness is a universal quality. You know, when we talk about it, uh, one way of expressing it is saying that it's like the sun. It shines on everything without uh, discriminating, well, I'm going to shine on that uh, tree, but not on that uh, flower or whatever. It shines, in, when it shines, unless when a cloud gets in the way, but aside from that, it shines. It shines on everything. Loving kindness is this kind of universal quality coming from within, shining on everything. That's the effort anyway, or that's the understanding of the direction. We may not achieve it all the time. And yet, while it's universal, it um, expresses in very particular ways. You know, you're not walking around and thinking universal, I'm going to be universally loving. You don't have to think about it. It's there, it emanates, and it emanates one by one in particular ways. So here's a small way, close to home, a little story by a woman named Joanne Jones, Joanne C. Jones. And she said, during my second month of nursing school, our professor gave us a pop quiz. I was a conscientious student and had breezed through the questions until I read the last one. What is the first name of the woman who cleans the school? Surely this was some kind of joke. I, she, she writes, I had seen the cleaning woman several times. She was tall, dark-haired, a woman in her 50s, but how would I know her name? I handed in my paper, leaving the last question blank. Before class ended, one student asked if the last question would count toward the quiz grade. Absolutely, said the professor. In your careers, you will meet many people. All are significant. They deserve your attention and care, even if all you do is smile and say hello. I've never forgotten that lesson. I also learned that her name was Dorothy. <laughs> so in particular ways, this universal quality of loving kindness. And also, I'd say loving kindness is innocent. It doesn't have an agenda behind it. 
there's a beautiful story that I came across. I, I really love this. This was um, by Maurice Sendak, the author, author of children's story and illustrator of children's stories, of many beloved books. So he commented that he often received letters from children who'd read his book and saying how much they loved it or whatever they were. And he said he answered all the letters from, from the children. He said, but one of them especially touched him. And he said that uh, as a result, because he was really touched by this boy's um, letter, he said he sent the child a card with a note on it, and then he drew a picture of a wild thing. This is uh, his book, um, Where the Wild Things Are, which is really a classic. So he drew a picture of a wild thing. Then he got a letter back from, uh, he received a note from the boy's mother, and she said, Jim loves, loved your card so much, he ate it. <laughs> and then Sendak's comment was that to me, that was one of the highest compliments I've ever received. He didn't care that it was an original, original drawing or anything like that. He saw it, he loved it, he ate it. <laughs> Isn't that beautiful? It's so genuine. There's no angle there. There's no agenda you know, if I'm really nice, then maybe he'll like me and notice me. None of that. It just is for what it is. And that is what we're cultivating. This is what it's about. So easy to lose sight of it. So I think why it's so important to hear these things. You know, many of us here have heard about loving kindness many, many, many times. But to hear it again, it's important. And to remember the heart of this. It's about being this authentic flow of feeling that comes from within, our forget feeling, openness, receptivity from within. I think one of the big questions that um, can arise for many practitioners in our mindfulness tradition is, well, how does loving kindness relate to mindfulness practice? In practice, they look like two different things, like apples and oranges. Hmm? When we practice mindfulness, mindfulness means being present in the present moment without comment, without judgment, just noticing things as they truly are. We practice with our breath, our body, the things that we talked about earlier and that many of you have been doing for years. Well, loving kindness, for example, as we talked about earlier, is about envisioning um, we, one way of practicing, let me take that back, one way of practicing it is to envision, as I invited you to envision, breathe through your heart, envision a child rocking in a cradle, the child is you, and so forth. You know, that seems really, really different from mindfulness, doesn't it? So how, how are they related? And uh, in practice, they seem so very different, but in fact, they are related. A lot of people don't see that. And I'm going to talk about how they're related in a minute. But you know, a lot of people, and I re have read this often over the years, tend to think of loving kindness as, or let me say, mindfulness is the real practice. You know, this is the real thing. And loving kindness is kind of the soft stuff, the add-on, the lesser practice. That's kind of the way many people see it. And I've heard a lot of people talk about it that way over the years. But... I'd like to draw another picture. Usually when I talk about how they're related, I just say, it's so simple, not just me, many people. A bird with two wings. You've heard that one before? 
bird, mindfulness is a bird with two wings. One is the practice of mindfulness and the other is the practice of kindness. And without both, the bird can't fly. And that's true, it's a good analogy. But there's a deeper way to understand it and I would like to point out here what that is. And that is to say that mindfulness means pre, being present in the present moment without judgment. It means being closely present. Mindfulness means, in fact, an intimacy, is it not? Being intimate with your breath or your body sensation with whatever is the object of your attention. It's as close as you can get to seeing what is really true. Well, what is intimacy if it isn't love? That kind of, not a possessive love, but just being present with appreciation, with deep appreciation, that's the connection the heart connection. So a beautiful thing to say a bird with two wings, but it kind of begs, begs the question, like, okay, asking me accept it, I'll accept it. I can think, I've never had anybody question it, but um, I think there's something deeper to see, and this connection, I think, is what is deeper, how mindfulness and loving kindness are both about intimacy, non-possessive intimacy, presence, presence. So to make this point, uh, I'll tell a couple of stories. And one, again, one I've told before. But some years ago, I was um, teaching mindfulness uh, at a church. And it was actually to some people who had been through a transition program. They had been in prison. They were in transition and so forth. And I was teaching mindfulness. And we did mindful walking. It was the first time for them. And afterwards, I asked them, as those of you have taken MBSR and some of you have, you know, how was that for you? And one man said, he had tears in his eyes, and he said, it was like falling in love. He had never been so close or experienced walking, simple act of walking so closely. It blew me away. I can't say he continued to appreciate it all and just an intuitive and immediate response. That connection between loving kindness and mindfulness. And there's a story that I really love. This appeared in the UVA Mindfulness Matters, which is the Mindfulness Center um, newsletter that comes out periodically and monthly, in fact. And there was a story of, uh, in there recently in January by a woman who was a former MBSR student. Um, MBSR, for those of you who don't know me, is Mindfulness-Based Stress Reduction. It is an eight-week course that is taught at UVA. I'm one of the teachers, and Teresa, who I think is here somewhere tonight, is another. There she is, way in the back. Hey, Teresa. Um, so uh, it is taught at, at UVA, and it can have profound results. Okay, so here's a story. She says, yesterday I went out to the farm to check on a friend's cat and the chickens, and then she says in parenthesis, she, the girls, she calls the chickens the girls. She said, the cat and I had a wonderful bonding time. Then I bebop over to the barn to check on the girls. As I come into the coop, what do I see in the egg box? Yup, a snake. I had the aw shit moment hit. As I looked, he had one of the five eggs in his mouth. And I thought, okay, buddy, you can have the one egg and I'll take the rest. 
Now I had to figure out how the heck I was going to get the eggs out of the box if he was still in there. Being the chicken that I am, I take a little feed into my hand and throw it at him with the hope that this will make him move. Nope. He doesn't stir. Okay, the next strategy is, I ask myself, and then I see a big stick near a window. I can handle this, she says to herself. I grab the stick with the determination that I am coming out of the coop with four eggs. I still am not going to put my hand anywhere near my new friend. He can have the fifth egg. I take the stick and hit the side of the box to see if this will cause him to move. Nothing. Now what? Let's try to move him out of the way, she thinks to herself. I try to get the stick under him to lift him out of the box, but what does he do? He releases the egg and starts to hiss at me. Well, this scares me even more, but now I'm determined to get those eggs. He's got to go. I continue to try to lift him up and out of the box. My fear now includes the thought that he will come up the stick at me. To my relief, he doesn't. With a little fight between me, the big stick, and him, he finally gets the message it's time to leave, and he slithers away the way he probably came into the coop. And I walk triumphantly and shaken out of the coop with all five eggs. And then this thought hits me. Even being face to face with a nemesis, I can be mindful. I'm amazed at my response to the situation. I didn't let my mind wander in any direction. I was in the moment. Felt the trembling in my body the whole time. I heard the chickens around me, smelled the coop, felt my hands and feet. Somehow I was totally aware of everything going in and going around me, in and, in and around me. Without these past eight weeks of mindfulness practice in MBSR, I don't think I would have been as mindful nor taken the action as I did in this moment. She recognized that she was mindful. What she didn't recognize, I think, and what we might notice, is she was also kind. She was loving. She calls this friend Buddy. She assumes it's a man, a male. She calls it Buddy. She calls it my friend. Hmm? There's a whole attitude toward the snake. She doesn't try to beat it up, kill it. She's trying to remove it, and she's calling it a friend. That's the attitude without even thinking about it. I wonder if she's ever called a snake, had ever called a snake friend before this experience, right? But here she was intensely mindful, and it was friend. You know what? I think we all do that in some way, or most of us. We who have now been trained for years, when we have an insect in our house, we don't squash it. We don't kill it. We get a little jar or a little something, put it on top, slide a piece of paper under, and walk outside, right? And maybe some of you, I know I do, talk to a little critter as you're putting it outside. Okay, little one, now you're going to go out or whatever. Hmm? And Jim McVeigh, as we know, had sometimes offers or shows us this little suction cup kind of thing. It's this insect removal system. It's like a swoops up the insect and it doesn't hurt it and it put, puts the insect outside. So what I'm suggesting is that we are cultivating loving kindness. It shows, you know, doesn't it? In just a simple individual way with a little spider, whatever, and with the snake in this case. Just a moment to make a comment as well and say that at the highest level, 
We've been talking, well, first of all, we've been talking about loving kindness that is expresses and we're aware of it in our everyday life. But loving kindness is an expression of a truth that has no words to it, of an unconditioned truth. There are many, wor there are many words to talk about it. Some people call it the ground of being. Some people call it the unconditioned or true nature, farmlessness. Farmlessness. There is an understanding, and I, it is there in many different names and terms in all the world's great religions. Cosmic consciousness. There are many, many. Some people call it God, if they can see it without personality. You know, there's something there that is, divine, that is sacred. And we don't have to get wrapped up into the nature of it, but it is wordless. Loving kindness is an expression of that. It is when this wordlessness, this farmlessness, comes a little bit into farm, it expresses as loving kindness. Loving kindness is, an is aligned with this highest truth, this wordless truth. And although, as I say, it's wordless and it can't be expressed and it needs to be experienced, you don't get it by just talking about it. I'm going to read you a quote by Joseph Goldstein, one of the primary insight meditation teachers in his book called The Experience of Insight. And he says, loving kindness is the natural harmony which comes from the breaking down of barriers arising out of the concept of self. It is loving kindness born of wisdom at this level. Loving kindness and emptiness are the same thing. There is no concept at all of I am loving. It is free of the concept of I, of self. This level of loving kindness is the natural expression of the teaching of the Dharma. So while we can and do talk about it and experience it on our everyday level, I think it's so helpful, important to bring into mind this other level of which in fact, for which there are no words, but can be profoundly experienced. From this level that we're talking about of the farmless, truth is, practicing loving kindness is irrelevant. It makes no difference because it is natural, it is there, it is a natural expression. But who of us lives or is aware of living all the time on that level? Mm, you know, maybe one or two, maybe there are a few people in this planet who are. Most of us live also on the everyday level, and there the cultivation of loving kindness is really, really important, and that's what we are doing, and we practice with that, with the conventional form of loving kindness. And knowing, and I would just say, without trying to put too many words around all this, knowing that is aligned, loving kindness as we practice it, is aligned with the highest truth. That's what we're doing. It is aligned with the highest truth there is, even if we aren't moment to in the moment experience, think, know that we're experiencing it. So in these times of tremendous divisiveness, of tremendous hostility, violence, and so forth, when tempers are sharp all over the place. And it's so easy for us to be pulled into that, right? For you, for me, uh, we've talked about that, we talked about it last week, to be pulled in to have a sharp temper, to be feel a prickly edge, to say the least. 
it's really helpful to remember the Buddha saying. And the Buddha said, in this world, hate has never yet dispelled hate. Only love dispels hate. This is the truth, ancient and inexhaustible. It's never changed. It's always been and it remains the truth, ancient and inexhaustible. I think I'm just going to stop right here because I would like to just briefly offer to you a kind of practice that some of you have heard before, but I think it's worth repeating. And that is an endearment practice. We talked about and often practice a loving kindness meditation. It's a formal practice of cultivating loving kindness. There's an informal practice that is really powerful. And that is adopting an endearment calling yourself in your internal dialogue, and some of you have heard this before, by any endearment that comes kind of naturally to you. Now, maybe you aren't used to calling yourself buddy or friend or darling. Maybe that doesn't even come naturally at all. But we make the effort. That's the point. That's what the invitation. Try. Something that isn't too horribly off, uh, and, uh, antithetical to what your natural inclination would be. Try friend. Talk to your friend. Hello, friend. You might even use your name. Hello, Susan, friend. Or particularly when you are in an edgy mood, you did something that wasn't quite skillful, you responded in a certain way, and you really are sorry you did it, recognizing that, you know what, this really wasn't as skillful as what I wanted to do. Maybe this had harmful consequences, whatever. Knowing that's not what you intended and that you're a human being. That's okay, darling, our buddy, our friend, talking to yourself, using an endearment. Hmm. What's the effect of that? Not just once, cultivating that as a practice. It's an informal practice. You use it in daily life. Throughout your day, whenever called upon, you begin talking to yourself and calling yourself whatever your endearment is. I use Darlene or honey or sweetheart, whatever. And it comes, starts coming naturally, silently. And sometimes, you know, I do it out loud too, but usually when no one's around. Um, the effect of it is it sweetens your day. It sweetens your temper. And just in that place where you might be raw or edgy or brittle, you're bringing a kindness. You see, when you respond to something that you maybe didn't do right or something that you don't like with a hard edge, what are you doing? You're putting another hard edge to it, a harder edge to it. So kindness to yourself. And then as I've talked to many people about that, you don't have to limit it to yourself. You can also silently use it when you're talking with other people, especially when they're really irritating you. Okay, friend, yeah, I know. Yeah, sure, friend, okay. You know, you've said that many times. Or, I don't agree, but I hear you, friend. But do you hear the attitude? It's a shift. It's a shift in attitude so that you don't have to be all edgy and adversarial when you're in the midst of something that is hard for you. It's not going to change that it's hard for you. You're not trying to pretend you like it, 
but your attitude can be one that is open receptivity, loving kindness. Mm -hmm. And finally, I'll say, and this might sound weird, but I use it with inanimate objects like my computer you know, <laughs> as well. So, you know, you've got a problem with your computer and you can start talking to it. And as I always point out, this is not about magical thinking that if I talk nice, it's going to be nice. It is just really soothing that edgy part within me. Bring it into your life. So that is my offering, this endearment practice. And I've talked to people about it and there are people who have done it and you know it works. It really, really helps. So... I think I will end there and ask if anyone, and, and thank you for listening. Yeah. Does anybody have any questions or comments that you would like to make? Observations. This doesn't have to be profound, but just anything that comes up in connection with loving-kindness. Yes. And your name is? Oh, Claire. Hi, Claire. Yes. Yes, thank you. Those, that's really lovely. The, the two dovetail, don't they? And even if you are not quite sure you really believe people are naturally good, this practice cultivates that. It's not about cultivating a belief about people. It's cultivating something from the inside that radiates out. And when you can do that within yourself, you can begin to see it in other people too. Even those, by the way, you don't like or agree with, you can see the, the goodness there. Thank you. Anybody else have a comment or question? Yes, and you are? Bernie. Hi, Bernie. That's true. Yes, uh, thank you. And that is very true. But I will also say there is a wisdom born of loving kindness. And it isn't just, you know, the heart wisdom. There's something there, and it just kind of ties in with what Clara is saying. You begin to shift how you experience the world and see it in a different way. But you're absolutely right. And so many people have said... At least, you know, I don't know if I read it that much now, but I've read it in the past and I've heard it a lot more in the past that they felt that mindfulness was more important. And the truth is, yes, it, well, they're two different things and same thing at the same time. Thank you, Bernie. Yeah. Anybody else have a comment? Yes. Linda. Yeah. It is. The Pali word for this is metta, M-E-T-T-A. And it has um, been translated in different ways. One of them is loving kindness, the other is loving friendliness, 
And see, we come at it from our not knowing that, which is fine. But then to us, it does sound like it's two things, two components. But this was trying to, it's calling it loving kindness as an effort to um, say that it isn't just our superficial, let's be nice and high to somebody. This is much deeper. And that's, that's the thing. Yeah, thank you. Yes. You know, words are so powerful. And uh, if you just uh, have a heart, I'm going to give you this because your voice is very soft. If I can disentangle. If you have, if you have a hard time getting into it, and if you just say loving kindness, loving kindness, you'll get into it much easier and can practice Thank much you. better. Beautiful. That's that's it. Words are powerful, and so we use the words, and more and more our understanding of the meaning of those words pervades us, goes deep. Thank you. Yeah. All right, friends. Next week, Sharon Salzberg will be here, and the week after it, our Sharon is going to be talking all of it about loving kindness. You are welcome to come back. Hmm?